Welcome to another segment of Challenge the Norm. Today we will be reading to you from the prescribed book that I have um, published called Is Jesus Still Relevant? Today we had um, chapter 2, but part 6 of chapter 2. Um, it's called A Hungry Society and Christian Genocide. Amos 8 verse 11 to 13 in the King James says, um, Behold the days come, said the Lord God, that I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but by hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. Now, in the process of defining our identity as human, or as African, or as Christian, we often come to a crossroad where we are exposed to a type of famine. The famine could be in our finances, uh, the famine could be in intimacy, in our marriages, in our careers, or in our family. Uh, famine takes, makes us to be hungry, and hunger can cause you to do strange things. The most perfect resource in our daily struggle to satisfy our hunger and thirst often overlooked and is often seen as irrelevant. The Word of God is the soul's only source of hope, peace, joy, and contentment. We are a hungry society, for we neglect to feed ourselves, and we know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We allow too many other people to speak into our lives, and we turn, turn a blind I to who God is and how he can help us for ultimately Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he came to help us in our hunger for God's word and our ignorance we turn to what I call Christian genocide and this helps us to cope with the identity crisis we are facing um, basically mutilating our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The hunger for self-worth and appreciation brings out a genocide that invades the innards of the church in such a way that it threatens the fertility of the church. The seed or offspring of the church is currently are currently incubating and they are in peril due to this type of genocide taking form. This happens from the pulpit to the door, even through the meeting of church leaders. It all shows up through the cracks of our degenerate society and most uh, of us in the Christian society. Now, when, when, when I say this, and when I make this an example, when, when I speak about the Christian society, um, what people often think is where uh, they think I'm lambasting or I'm criticizing the potential or the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, I am speaking to the toxicity that finds itself within the Christian society. Um, I will not speak of the world in this sense because the world needs to repent and follow the Lord. The world cannot dictate how the Christian church should live her life in obedience towards God because the world is in darkness and in decay and the world is busy going into the abyss of hell. 
and only when the world accepts Christ as Lord and Savior, then uh, the, the world, then you become part of the church. And when you see the toxicity or, 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 or the elements or the rudiments of the world within the church, we need to address it so that the church can be uh, faultless and pure, um, waiting for the bridegroom, which is Christ, to come. We, we might not yet see a physical form of Christian genocide as such, but the ideology is already present. And I want to make this uh, a declaration here that when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers that are walking in true doctrine. Those who do not walk in true doctrine that follow the, pre the precepts of men and the rudiments of the world that label themselves as, as the church, that is the false church. It's a pseudo church. Um, so, so I'm not even talking about that where you see people eating rats and um, spraying pesticides on their faces. That is not the true church. Do not be deceived between people that call themselves the church, which is not the true church. Follow the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says that if you love me, you will follow my commandments. That is the true church. In the following extract, I will showcase a possible danger of the ideology of genocide between denominationalists and a larger religious form of Christianity. Allow me to illustrate an allegorical intertwined view that could possibly be an outcome soon if it's not prevented. Now, according to the United Nations in 1948, the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, Article 2, the term genocide is defined as uh, the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national ethnic, racial, or religious group. A means killing members of the group. B causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring its physical destruction in whole or in part. Just look at these definitions and keeping in mind that many denominational wars were being fought among Christians still up until today. We can see the ideology of Christian genocide is quite a striking reality. Now, when I make this statement, I am really not talking about the emerging church. The emerging church at the moment is, um, or the emerging church is, is, is where ecumenism is practiced. Ecumenism, where, where you take all the other faiths and what is good in them, and you, you bring it into this whole melting pot of doctrine. And later on, you don't know, you cannot distinguish between what is holy and what is profane because of all this melting pot. We take our cue from the Word of God, and that is the only place that we get our doctrine from, not this melting pot of cultures that is in the emergent church at the moment. So the Pentecostals cannot stand the Anglican or the Roman Catholics, although the, the, the Roman Catholics per se, there are some doctrines that are not in line with the, the Word of God, like transubstantiation and indulgences and all of that. But there are some Catholics that are really serving the Lord. Um, many times, uh, these type of Christianity, forms of Christianity, think they are superior than others. The pulpits are full of preaching material on how many mistakes other denominations are making. Uh, seldom do they refer to the log in their own eye. 
So you're, you, my dear preacher, are out of line when you only pinpoint the wrong others are doing. I'm not saying you should not do that because Christ has done that, Paul has done that, Peter has done that. But if your doctrine is just based on that and not, there, there, there should be, um, according to the, the book of Timothy or the letter of Timothy, there should be edification, admonishment, there should be encouragement, there, there should be blessing, there should be rebuke, there should be all of these at the right time, it takes discernment. But if your ministry is just focused on who did what and what did who, then later on, your ministry becomes toxic. Look at Christ. He pinpointed out to the Pharisees what they were doing wrong. But he also ministered to his disciples and saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to heal. He taught them how to go out and to be fishers of men. Those are the elements that you should have in your teaching material, including pointing out the dangers. The trend continues and many new members are inducted in the self-destructive behavior. We are killing the faith and the dreams of others by the corruptible mindset that has infiltrated our thoughts and later our actions towards people. We should be seen as brothers and sisters. We spend countless hours developing cheap psychological scare tactics to inflict more damage mentally on our fellow soldiers of the cross. We seldom would care for those in need in other denominations, and we only tend to our own flock. My dear saint, you are filled with Christian genocide. The problem that arises is one of conformity. We need others to conform to our right way of thinking, speaking, and living in order to make them a part of our social circles. There are few that do not conform to our standardized ethos, so we become enraged and we damn them to hell. I believe it were, if it were not for the love of Christ in this world, would have long ago destroyed one another simply because one person does not want to wear a tie to church. The arguments are petty. And let me remind you, salvation does not originate, originate from clothing, church buildings, or preaching styles. Salvation comes from Jesus, who offered himself up as a ransom for us while we were yet sinners. Do we really love God and our neighbor? The problem with genocide is after the ideology has become a normative thought pattern, then violence occurs. And this becomes a normal value ascribed to oppressing groups. Um, in 1994, there was the Tutsis in Rwanda, and it was more much like the Jews when they were in Nazi Germany. They were socially dead people whose, whose murder was acceptable as it became common. One thing history has proved to us is that whenever war arises, morality flees, and we become the animals that we deny being. The only difference between us and animals is our morality, one, and our God consciousness. As we are humans, we are exposed to animalistic behavior that shocked the world if we continue with this type of genocide. The effects are irreversible. We have power to change things now while the ideology is only present. The church can never be fertile if Christian genocide haunts the very fabric of our religious substance. We are not called to be a more pawns in the structures of modern society. 
You may not realize it today, but you are not chosen to blend in. You are chosen to stand out. You are unique. You've been endowed with gifts that can change the outset of your community and your family life. There was a, a horrific incident that occurred um, in, in South Africa during the time of, of apartheid. It was called the Group Areas Act. This act affected all the population groups as an attempt to, to make um, separate residential areas available for Europeans and various non-European groups. Within their own area, member of, of these groups could develop to their full extent or to their capacity and found avenues of employment which were close to them outside the area. There were opportunities for them to assume new responsibilities in the, in the interest of their group and then themselves they were denied elsewhere um, to serve in that capacity and among these a measure of self-local, self-government was included. The half-truth has not only enslaved our previous generation, but sadly crept into the church up until today. We as humans cannot develop separately, for we are created to be in communion with one another. We all know the horrible effects of apartheid and the tremendous sporadic violence that occurred during the, the uprising period. The problem with church folk today is they are enslaved by a spiritual group areas act uh, and perform their daily Christian living accordingly. The Baptists think they can develop in full capacity without Pentecostals in their own area. We see this happening in our own communities. Church fight against church. <laughs> Christian genocide is heavily enforced now by the Christian Group Areas Act. Allow me to demonstrate this in a fun way and see how the body of Christ can breathe fertility back into the church by walking in partnership with one another without feeling threatened about which pastor has the most congregants or generate the most capital. Allow me to show you the kingdom of God, how it works hand in hand with each denomination. Let's brace ourselves. Some of the uh, examples I make is not theolo theologically accurate. As you can see, uh, I know Peter was not the first pope and John the Baptist was not really a Baptist, but yeah, just for the sake of fun, let's do this. One day long ago, during biblical times, God himself sent out a message that a mighty Baptist leader would sweep the whole world by storm. Not very long after the Baptist arose, and his name was John, he had a strange dietary requirements before preaching, and his suits were made from real leather. Might I add that he liked his occasional honey and locust with it. According to the same community of church leaders, he, he, he seemed like a rebel, not following in his father's priestly role that was more conservative. His family understood him a little as he started with his first Baptist church on the banks of the Jordan River. He loved open-air services, and his preaching was delightful and with a strong sense of repentance. Some even mistook him for the promised Messiah, but he was only preparing the way for his cousin. Eh, his cousin Jesus was from another denomination, but also had great spiritual tasks to fulfill. The two met at John's church, and John was adamant about being baptized, as Jesus was filled with the Spirit and seemed Pentecostal. The crowd was in awe of him, considering the connection and partnership between the two denominations. As John recalls, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The heavens opened, and God himself spoke 
when the two communed one with the other. And John even gave most of his followers to Jesus, which reiterated, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus, on the other hand, invited a group of men, also diverse, to follow him. One of them named Peter, who was a believer in the Jewish Messiah. Jesus was surrounded by a devotee to the charismatic movement named John the Revelator. John was dynamic till his old age and saw great revelations through the gifts of God's Spirit. Jesus handed over the sacred message and evidence of his resurrection to faithful women at that time, when their respective right passed it on to the Lutherans and Calvinists. Jesus, after his death and resurrection, paid a visit to a theological scholar who at that time had no lecture room to lecture. It was Professor Paul, who on returning from his conversion, conversion lectured in the great company of Greek philosophers. He was a dynamic author and published various number one selling titles within a bigger collection of which God was the author. He had tremendous essays and seminars which led to many conversions and eventually martyrdom. This outbreak of interdenominational community Solely, therefore, the advancement of the kingdom of God was amazing. The great ripple effect of this type of teamwork and community led to the first Coptic and Ethiopian traditions to spark life in Africa through the hands of Philip the Evangelical. These women and men never looked at their different backgrounds. Instead, they looked at the unity of God, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What about us? We must look away from church structure and embrace the living Jesus in our hearts, lives, and families. The Christian Genocide and Spiritual Group Areas Act are enemies created by our own selfish ambitions. Remember, the world is starving to hear the Word of God, not tradition, not rituals, not old wives' tales or fable of men. They are dying and you have the power to breathe life into a dying person. Be the hope people are looking for. Embrace the Jesus in you. For playing church produces hell. In all this, we're encountering abuse. This danger is still prevalent. And we in the church are sometimes blinded by the abuse of women and children. Men are mostly the perpetrators. But if you are not an abuser and you see yourself as the protector of your family, ask yourself, how long can she still take it? Join me next time as I answer that question. How long can she still take it?